Dr. Huddleston comes every year the Sunday after Easter. It's just he puts it in his book, and, uh, and I'll tell you why. You know, if you want Dr. Huddleston to preach at your church, you're on a two-year waiting list. I got pastor friends that are mad at me. They call me and say, what did, who are you paying? Who, whose pockets are you greasing to get Dr. How is it that you get Dr. Huddleston at your church? What makes you so special? Well, listen, first of all, it's, it's grace. It's just grace. Nothing makes me special but the grace of God. It's just grace. But let me say this. When I was nine years old, my, and by the way, my, my parents are here. Pastors Peter and Diane, stand up, please. That's Bishop Mommy and Bishop Daddy. And they are the pastors of Liberty Christian, Liberty Church International in Fremont, California. And so I'm very, very thankful, very honored to have my parents here today, whom I love dearly. And uh, but my my father's sister, my auntie Sharon, she called my dad and said, listen, we're having a special guest speaker at our church tonight and Benjamin needs to be there. And so my parents said, sure, come get him. So she picked me up. I was nine years old, took me to the church. It was Sequoia Community Church in Oakland. All I remember was the pastor was funny. That man was funny. He had me rolling. I can still tell you some of the jokes that that man told that night. And he talked about his wife and his kids and how his, wi- his kids called his wife Sarge. And, 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 uh, and I was cracking up laughing, but I remember at the end of the sermon, he got real serious and he said, the Spirit of the Lord's moving on the children, so I need all the children to come forward. I was just a little kid. I didn't know what was happening. I just came up there all goofy, you know, thinking maybe he's going to tell me another joke, you know. He came over and laid his hands on me, and I cannot even describe what happened the moment he laid his hands on me. The Spirit of the Lord fell on me with such power. The presence of God came with such power. I was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment, spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. And I tell you the truth, I felt different from that moment forward. It was another 20 years before I realized who that man was. All I knew was he was a funny black dude. That's all I knew. He was black and he was funny. But I was talking to my Aunt Sharon. And she said, you remember that night I took you to my church? I said, yeah. She said, I tell you, that Dr. Sam Huddleston is something, isn't he? I said, that was Dr. Sam Huddleston? She said, yeah. I said, i got to find him. Now, Living Hope was a year old at the time. We were coming up on our two-year anniversary. I wrote him a long email pouring out my heart saying, when I was nine years old, you laid your hands on me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a pastor now. We started this little church in Emeryville. God's blessing it. Would you come and speak? His secretary got a hold of that email, looked in the book, saw that he was scheduled to preach at another church that day. She called the pastor without asking him, said, I'm sorry, Dr. Huddleston will not be there with you that day. And put our church there in the book. When he came in the office, she said, you got to read this email. You mean a lot to this young man. He came and ministered to us that day very powerfully. And he's come every year since then to speak into our lives. That was January 2006 when he came for the first time. It is now 2012, and he's here with us once again to bring a powerful word that's going to set us free and release us into the new season of what God's doing in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Samuel Huddleston and his pastor, his wife, Pastor Linda Huddleston. Full to have his wife, Pastor Linda Huddleston, with us as well. Thank you for being here. It's a privilege for me to be here. Some friends from our church, the Lassiters are here. Uh, you know, it's, I was telling Pastor Benjamin, it's humbling uh, when you leave the church and then people who listen to you preach Sunday after Sunday would come and listen to you. Um, it makes you feel like you did something right. You know, a lot of pastors, when they leave, the people wouldn't come here and preach if they went next door to their house, you know. <laughs> and so thank, thank you. Thank you for being here. A while back, I was privileged to preach at Santa Rita Prison, and uh, Pastor Robinson, she's the pastor out there, and uh, they had a revival. I remember coming home telling my wife, I said, Honey, I know where Benjamin gets it from. <laughs> I said, My goodness, this, I wanted to tell those guys, if you got sin in your life, you better get rid of it, because she's going to read you your mail in a minute, boy. I mean, <laughs> then, I, then I came in this morning. And she walked in, and Pastor Benjamin, he was so busy, you know, because he's the pastor. you got to get all this stuff. And she just looked at him and went just like this. And he leaned over, kissed his mom on the forehead. 
I said, uh, I said, so he ain't that grown yet. Huh? She said, oh, no, no, he ain't that grown. No, no, no. And his brother is here. I'm going to tell you something. That's all the reason why you folk are blessed and ought to be here. Because if he was living a, a double standard life, his family wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here. And so you're blessed. You're so blessed. And I don't use the terminology lightly that I love you. Uh, I really don't. I, I don't know what happened after my father passed. I just don't use it a lot. A lot of people say, I love you, but they don't even know you. It's like Christian cliche. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And you want to go, yeah, but if you knew. <laughs> and uh, I really, I, I appreciate your pastor. And I really love him. I genuinely mean that. You, you, you're a good man. Uh, you've got a beautiful wife. Uh, your little girl. I pray God will just... You know, give you more, more babies for your mom and dad. Uh, yeah. Lord, you're a wonderful God. And thank you for the privilege you keep giving Linda and I to minister grace to your people. And we pray this morning that you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, may they be acceptable in thy sight. Because you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story in the Bible. I don't have a sermon, but I do have, I think, a good, a good, a good story. As I, as I grew up, my daddy was a storyteller. I don't care what question you would ask my daddy. He would say, you know, that reminds me of a story. <laughs> and then the older he got, he quit saying it reminds me of a story. He'd just tell you a story. <laughs> and then my kids, they start saying, you know, daddy, you're getting to be like grandpa. That's what you just tell a lot of, a lot of stories. And then I realized um, I remember those stories. I remember the story. My father's gone home with Jesus, but I remember the stories. I don't sometimes even remember the text, but I remember the story. So I want to tell you a story. It's found in Mark chapter 5. I won't read all of this. also found in Luke 8, but I have to read a portion of this story to you. And I want to leave a question with you. And the question I want to ask you is this. What is your name? I just want to ask you a question. What is your name? And I was watching on the video and they were saying how people were getting new names. I, want, I, want, I just want to. And so listen to these words. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, it says, They went across the lake. Now, what does the word they imply? They. There's more than one, right? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Then it said, when Jesus got out of the boat. Did I miss it? Did you miss it? They went across, but only Jesus got out. Why is it that only Jesus got out? Listen to this. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The disciples, as the story goes on to tell us, are in the boat with Jesus. And everyone knew about this crazy man. (laughs) You can almost see the disciples in the boat. Man, I'm not getting out of here. In fact, Jesus stepped out and they backed up. You know, it's like, you know, you're on your own now, Jesus. And Thomas is probably, you know, they're all taking six to one odds. These might last 30 seconds and. You know, Thomas is doubting and everybody's dispositions and characters coming out. They go over. Jesus gets out. And it says this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons of his up on his feet. No one. No one was strong enough to subdue him. The Bible says night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. The Bible says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And you can almost hear the pause. What is your name? And he says, my name is Legion. He replied, which is that's an legion is an army terminology. It's two to two to six thousand soldiers. And you wonder why this man's running around butt naked in the graveyard. <laughs> My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And the Bible says, and he begged Jesus. The demons inside again and again, not to send them out of the out of the area. Dr. Laura Schlesinger Schlesinger in her latest book, Bad childhood good life she quotes the following from the movie golden pond for lord's sake here we go again you had a miserable childhood 
Your father was overbearing and your mother ignored you. What else is new? Chelsea, you have a great big chip on your shoulder, which is very unattractive. You stay away for years at a time. You never come home unless I beg you to. And then when you do, all you can do is be disagreeable about the past. What is the point? Don't you think everyone looks back on their childhood with a certain amount of bitterness and regret about something? It doesn't have to ruin your life, darling. You're a big girl now. Aren't you tired of it all? Bore, bore, bore. Life marches on, Chelsea. I suggest you get on with it. This is Catherine Hepburn, who played the part of Ethel, speaking to her daughter, Chelsea, who was played by Jane Fonda. And herein lies the problem. Many people are unable to move forward with their life due to excessive baggage that they deny exists, but it gets heavier with time. You know, some folk, now this is not where I, sh- my wife shops. I, I, you know, I'm just a poor country boy trying to make it to heaven. <laughs> this is one of my wife's bags. It ain't my bag. That's Nordstrom's. When she would first go there, now my wife can shop. No, my, no, 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 no. I mean, she can, she can shop. She can go and get deals. She'll even ask the people. There's no even a sale. And she'll ask them, uh, what's your best deal on this? I said, you, you just can't walk into a store. Well, I'm going to ask them, what's your best deal on this? And I've watched her get deals on stuff that wasn't on sale. But I learned if you shop at Nordstrom's, you can take it back a year later. I bought some, some uh, like hiking boots and warm to Africa, and they didn't fit right. Ain't nothing worse than having a bad you know, pair of shoes and your, your feet hurt. And, and, I, and I took them back to Nordstrom's. They didn't even open the box. I said, my God, I'm so glad I'm saved. I can make a killing. See, when you got an ex-criminal mind, you always, it just, it comes back. You just, you know. But we all got baggage. No, every one of us, every one of you, look at somebody and tell them, you got some baggage. And that, uh, you know, some of y'all said it like you didn't want to say it for quite a while, you know. Y'all. I just gave you permission. But see, it all starts out, maybe, maybe it starts out in little bitty cute bags. It's kind of cute. You know, the other, a while back, not the other day, but a while back, I took my, uh, one of my granddaughters. You know, last year we came, we had 11 grandbabies. This year we have 12. My daughter's had her fifth, uh, grand, fifth child. And I told her, I said, honey, you know, sit down for a second. I said, now, I know the Bible says be fruitful and multiply, but there's some other scriptures in the Bible, you know. Let somebody else be fruitful. We got enough around here. I tell my friends when all my my grandbabies come over, I said, man, there's enough colored kids to make a Zulu movie, man. (laughs) My God, they're running all, they're running everywhere. My God. In fact, I came back one time from from Africa, and then they come over, pop us back, and they're all standing around in the living room, and I'm looking at them. I go, didn't I just leave (laughs) y'all? Oh, uh, but we all got some baggage. No, we really do. And some of us, we, it, we, we think it's cute. So me and my granddaughter, we go fishing, and she come back, and her mama said, how many fish y'all catch? She said, well, the papa didn't catch any, but I caught seven. And my daughter told me, well, what y'all do with the fish? I said, what fish? We didn't catch no fish. She said, well, my, you know, Sophia said, you didn't catch any, but she caught seven. I said, wait a minute. Sophia, come here. Yes. I said, how many fish did you catch? How many fish did I catch? Well, you didn't catch any. How many fish did you catch? I caught seven. I said, Sophia, how many fish did I catch? You didn't catch any. How many fish did you catch? I caught seven. And it was like, Papa, that's my story. I'm not going to change it. <laughs> and we had to talk through this thing. See, when they're young and we think it's cute, we kind of laugh. That's how baggage begins. And then it grows and it gets in a, in a bigger bag. And if you don't deal with it, it just keeps getting bigger. And then the next thing you know, well, heck, you got a cute little suitcase full of garbage. And then you got one with a travel lamp. You know, you got to take it with you. You can't just all of a sudden. So, you you know, you got, well, where are we going this time, baggage? And, and then it just keeps growing. And now, you know, you, you this is your work case. You got to take it to work with you. I got your laptop and, and your computer, everything in there, your anger. You got, you got your stuff. 
and, and you know, and, and then it just keeps them big, and pretty soon, you know, you, you just got, you, you listen, you just got baggage. And then you wonder why you can't keep a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Or why you go from spouse to spouse. I, I mean house to house, I'm sorry. House to house. And you keep blaming everybody, it ain't them, it's you. You you won't, you know, you don't want to deal with your stuff. You think it started out cute, it ain't cute no more. You call people's houses and they don't want to talk to you. In fact, some of them didn't even want that. What do you call that? Uh, on your phone, you can see the number. Call ID. They didn't want call ID, but they got it just for you. <laughs> you call, they say, I ain't talking. Oh. See this story. The story today has Jesus and his disciples. They go out of their way to cross a lake. To meet a man who's demon possessed. He lived in the graveyard. You understand? He lived in the graveyard. No one, the Bible says, could bind him. In verse 3 it said, anymore, which implied they had tried. Society had done all they could do to control this man's behavior. They executed a man in death row years ago. Night before he was executed. Called my house. Chaplain said, why don't you call my friend? So I get this, Linda was gone, and I get this call around midnight. This guy has kind of a shrill voice, and, 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 and he tells me his name, and I know he's, I said, man, who is this? I think one of my friends playing a, a, a sick joke. I said, who is this? And then he hands the phone to my, my friend, the chaplain. He said, man, I just, I just thought maybe you could just say something to this guy. But of course that messed up my night. Then they were going to execute him, then they weren't. They called it off, and I went to, and then they, they executed him. But when he was a child, he was born with alcohol, something alcohol, fetal syndrome. Or something. He was, in fact, his stepfather kicked him out of his mama's womb. And the counselors in the school, as he now listen to me, folk, as he grew up, they gave his condition a name. Well, see, he's just a kid. He, you, you, do you know his story? His stepdad kicked him out of his mom. He has a right to be angry. He has a right. It was cute. It just was a little bag. Well, then he got older and he started acting that stuff out. Pretty soon he got older and older. And now he's killed two people. It ain't cute anymore. So instead of them telling them how to deal with the baggage, they give the baggage a name. They make excuses for the baggage. Until the baggage gets out of control, now we execute him. And the question really is, whose fault is it? So here's a man in a graveyard. Jesus goes out of his way. See, maybe at one point he could control his behavior. Maybe at one point. But then it got out of control. In verse 4 it says, For he had often been chained foot, hand and foot, but he tore them apart. He broke the irons off his feet. Now you're out of control. So we got a place for you now. We're going to send you to Napa. We're going to send you to San Quentin. We're going to send you to a Pelican Bay. We're going to send you some. You're out of control. You used to be cute. Your lives didn't really bother us. And you, 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 you borrowed something every now and then. And, and we gave you a timeout. Tell what my daddy's definition of a timeout was. He said, boy, I'm tired. I'm not going to beat you anymore. I'm going to take a time out. Then I'm going to come back and beat you some more. He's deceased now, so I can say whatever I want to say, you know. The Bible says that night and day he would cry out as he cut himself in the hills on the rocks. There are people in this city around you. You might be in here today. You really, you've been cutting yourself a long time. And there are no scars. You ever ask yourself what he was saying when he was yelling? We don't know, but we do know that whatever plagued him caused him to cry out alone. See, that's what makes the church such a tragic uh, environment. When you come and you're alone and you befriend someone and then they turn on you. And you say, you know what? I could have did this out in the world. It's better for me to be alone. Man, they got snakes in the church. <laughs> I told my daddy that one time. He said, son, listen to me, boy. 
He said, it's better be in the church than the world. I said, why is that? Dad? He said, in the world, you don't know who the snakes are, but in the church. <laughs> he said, if you stick around a while, boy, you're going to find out who will bite. He goes, then all you got to do is stay away from him. He's a man. He's crying out. He's alone. And many people today, young and old alike, are crying out in many different ways for help. Many are searching in religion, and some of them, they have found it. And as Timothy said, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. What do you mean by that? They celebrate Easter, and and you know the resurrection. You know about the power of God, and yet you won't allow that power to change your life. Because, you know, if if I let Jesus change my life, you know, I I got to give up my baggage. You know, I done got used (laughs) to it. You know, you don't, you don't even understand. See, people on my job, they respond to me a certain way because, see, they know who I am. And, oh, yeah, 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 they, they, they know I go to church. Would they come to church with me? You got to be kidding. I wouldn't even ask them. Because if I come to church and they see me dancing and shouting and crying, then I got to go to work Monday, a changed person. I'm not into that. I'm into religion. I want to come pay my dues. I'm not going to give up my baggage. Society casts this man aside, but someone who hears the cries of us all went out of his way. And the Bible says he came to him. And the one that came to him is here this today to come to. That's right. He's here to come. You got some baggage. He's here for it. The, the Bible says that. When the man saw Jesus, he ran and he, and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. And he shouted at the top of his voice. See, that is a position of desperation. And a lot of folk in America, we, we, you know, we go to church. We got big churches. But our people are not desperate. I came in this morning. I'm watching the folk leading worship. If nobody else was here, they were already in his presence. Y'all just got some of the residual of what these folk was just dishing out. That's, that's, that's all it was. They never did say, all right, come on, let's stand. Let, you know, get into it. Let's do this. Let's do, you know, the pastor needed some exercise. So he invited some of y'all to come up here and do some jumping jacks with here, you know, but. <laughs> the presence of God filled the house. Yeah. And the worship, you know, really it's singing until God touches it and sends it back down. Now we got worship. Because yeah. he wants to come down and see what's really going on in him revealed. What is really? And when he comes down, the power and the presence of Jesus comes down. And now we got church. And ain't about the yelling and the screaming. No, no. It's about the presence of God Almighty. And the Bible says the man fell on his knees. I've been to Cuba a few times. And it took me a couple of times before I realized why the presence of God is so thick in Cuba. And I came home and told my wife. I said, honey, I got it. She said, what? I said, they need Jesus. She said, what do you mean we need Jesus? I said, no, 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 you understand, baby. No, they really do need Jesus. See, there's probably not an adult in this room that doesn't have at least one credit card. They have no credit cards. They have socialized medicine, but they don't have any medicine. So when the preacher says we got a, a healing service tonight, they're bringing everybody. And when the preacher says, in Jesus' name, be healed, listen, they're trying to grab that thing. They're trying to grab it because they have nowhere else to go but in America. My friends from other countries, they say, you know, you Americans are interesting. I said, what do you mean? They say, you know, y'all come to church, you bring your lattes and your pachinos and everything else. And this is what he said. They said, it's almost like you come to church saying, now, God, I'm here. They don't live here. They're just observing. I asked, that's what a man told me from Cuba. I said, give me an observation of the American church. And he looked at me. I said, come on, man, we buddies, man. You ain't going to offend me. I said, the church, not my church, the church. He said, but when we come to church, we're desperate. He said, y'all don't lost your desperation. You don't need him like we need him. When you're running around naked in the graveyard, oh, you need him. Oh, you need him. And the Bible says, see, probably nobody had ever come that close to him in quite a while. So he knew already there's something different about this man. And the Bible says he ran, fell on his knees, and he began to yell, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And the Bible says, Jesus looked at him and said, come out of the man, you evil spirit. But nothing happened. Nothing happened. This is the son of the living God. 
but nothing happened. Jesus looks at the man, and what he doesn't ask the man is just as important as what he does ask the man. See, he did not ask him, who's your parents? Where are your parents? He didn't ask him, where were you raised? He didn't ask him, what kind of education do you have? He didn't even say, were you abused as a child? Did your parents divorced? Are you divorced? Were you reared by a single single mom or dad? Were you reared by your grandparents? Foster home, uh, abandoned, molested, raped. He He didn't ask him any of that. He already knew the man had problems. Listen, folk, let me say, you tell you again, he was naked. You see somebody running down San Pablo Boulevard butt naked, you know they got problems. You're not going to sit there going, wow, I, I wonder if they're going to Rayleigh's. No, they got some issues. The man even then had some issues. Jesus didn't ask him any of that. When you get desperate, you don't even have to tell him what your problem is. The Bible says in verse 8, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Nothing happened. He made it personal. This man. So your problem is not my problem. And my problem is not your problem. That's why sometimes you go to church, you hear something, man, I sure wish so-and-so were here. Well, they're not here. It was for you and you missed it. Years ago, I'm sitting in juvenile hall. I'm about 14 years old. Preacher came in. I'm sitting on the front row like this. And he said, I'm trying to help you, young man. One of you are going to end up in prison if you don't listen to me. And I leaned over and hunched the guy on my right. I said, man, you better listen to this man. He's trying to help you. <laughs> he kept talking. I hunched the guy on my left. I said, are you listening? The man trying to help you. The man he was trying to help wasn't listening. <laughs> You're here. They're not. This man. And Jesus made it personal. He said, this man. You see, what might be bothering you It may not be bothering anyone else in this room. And then Jesus looks at him and says, demons are still in him. They haven't gone anywhere. Ask him, what's your name? You can almost hear the pause. My name. Yeah. What is your name? He says, my name. My name is Legion, for we are many. And I'm not reading into the text, but it appears a man had the ultimate power for his own deliverance or change. Oh, you ain't listening. Jesus acted in this situation. Remember, this situation. He always acted differently. Don't try to take this and build a a religion out of it. In this situation, (laughs) he acted upon the man's response. You see, for in ancient times, when you surrendered your name, you surrendered the power that name had over you. I was in South Africa years ago. My wife and I were over there teaching in one of the universities. A young lady came and woke me up in the morning. And for two hours, she told me the most sordid story about what had happened to her since she was a little girl. And I just sat there listening. She had pictures of the guys who had messed over her. I mean pictures. And she's showing me pictures of these guys who had, and and I mean, she got baggage. And when she got done, I just looked at her. I said, so you you, you think you're special. What do you mean? You think you're the only one. You must think you don't. Do you honestly think you're that special? That you're the only one that this ever happened to? Now, I wasn't trying to make light of her pain, but I said, now, if you were in my office right now in America, I'd ask you a question. And she had a beautiful action. She said, what would that question be? And I said, do you want help or you want me to feel sorry? She said, I, 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 she literally, she thought about it. She thought about it because she didn't know what was coming next. She says, I want help. I said, then burn the picture album. I said, because see, if you was my little girl and you show me them pictures, I'm back in jail again. No, you, you know what? Listen. You don't mess with my family. <laughs> oh, you know, some of y'all even, you know, you got your stuff on wheels, boy. You going, hey, hey. Oh, you ain't leaving your stuff. God won't do anything without your permission or your admitting to him and others what your name really is. When the prodigal son went home, he had to say, Father, 
I have sinned against God and against you. And in and, and Numbers, when they, when they were being bit by the snakes in the wilderness, they had to look up to the bronze serpent and say what? Moses, I've sinned against and against God. See, we think, I'm saved now, I've asked God to forgive me, and that's it. No, you know what? You done hurt some folk. I met Jesus a long time ago, 19 years of age, and met him in prison and finally got out. And the Lord told me I had to go to people's houses and ask forgiveness. And one of them, I'll never forget, it was a girl, you know, I, you know, we had a little thing going on. And her parents bought two dogs, put them in the backyard. Because when the parents, I hear their car pulling up, I go through the back door, hit the fence, and I'm gone. They bought two dogs. Those the Doberman, I don't know what the other dog was. You know what I did? I made friends with the dogs. <laughs> parents would pull in the front yard, I hit the back door. <laughs> Oh, shut up, man. That's Sam. He's one of us. Give me, come on. Give me some Paul, Sam. Give me some Paul. He a dog like us. Come on. He's one of us. And the parents, they never got it. I bring the dogs a little meat. Hey, everybody, y'all want to say, yeah, some meat. But when I got saved, the Lord said, you go back and ask that girl's parents to forgive you. Well, can I write a letter? <laughs> How about a text? Email, smoke signal. And I remember knocking on that young lady's parents' door. This is years later. And her mother came to the door. Hi. I thought, oh, forgiveness has not flown. <laughs> and she just stood there behind the screen. I said, I need to ask uh, you and your husband to forgive me for being so disrespectful to you and your daughter. And the mother stood there and looked at me. You want to come in? No, no, it's hard enough just standing here telling you this. No, I got to go. What, what is your name? One of my names was Dog. See, over 25 years ago, I went to see a counselor for the first time. He didn't know that my wife had laughing because she kept saying I needed to change, and I kept telling her I was sorry. She kept saying, you are sorry, but you still need to change. And we kept going back and forth until finally one day I'll come home, and I woke up one morning, and, and my baby was gone with my kids. I remember thinking, oh, she meant change. <laughs> and I'm sitting, I'm talking to this counselor on our third visit, and I said, I'm not coming to see you anymore. He said, why? I said, because we ain't talking about what I want to talk about. He said, what do you want to talk about? I said, why am I so angry, man? My kids are scared of me. My wife, my dog ran away, man. You know, what's, what's up with that? Why am I so angry? And he kind of put a smile on his face. See, so you cannot be helped until you identify what your name is. My wife came home. Now we're almost 36 years later. I was always afraid. I'd wake up one morning and she'd have a mirror underneath my nose going, shucks, he's still breathing. (laughs) I I didn't want that. But I had, man, I had stuff. And I was a saved preacher. Tongue talking. Oh, we dangerous when we start talking in tongues. (laughs) Yeah, hold on. Because see, now it's just you and Jesus. Then we come tell the pastor, pastor, the Lord told me such as, what do you think? Do you know what the response to that question is? When you tell somebody, the Lord told me this, what do you think? What do you really want them to think? If they disagree, they disagree with who? They disagree with you, they disagree with God. I got one pastor, Bishop Donald Lee Green. Been the only pastor I've ever had, 30 years. I've never once told him, Bishop Green, God told me such and such. What do you think? I think if I ever told him, God said, he'd tell me, boy, shut up. When God gets ready to talk to you, I'll let you know. You don't know him that well. So I go to him and I say, Pastor, I don't know what I ate. I don't know. Here, this is what's going on inside of me. Tell me, what you, tell me how you, now he got to pray. I'm not doing my thing. I ain't worried about it no more. It's up to my pastor now. Now, he ain't God, but he is my covering. See, some folk do a pastor like an 800 and they think they're calling Dion Warwick or something. I better leave that alone. It was only after I admitted my anger that my counsel could. See, let's go back to the story for today. The demons, they asked permission to be cast into a herd of pigs. Now, that's funny. They would rather, and then what do the pigs do? They run off a cliff and drown. You you missed that. Pigs would rather be drowned than have demons living inside of them. And they got folk walking the street just full of the devil. Oh, they're not foaming at the mouth, running around naked. But you know what? Jesus is not in control of their lives. 
This is crazy. I mean, it's, it's plumb crazy. Jesus had the power over these spirits that were destroying this man, and he has the power over what's destroying you. But without your admission and your permission, you will leave here today the same way you have left, week after week after week after week after week. My friend, you're religious. You know about the power of God to change, but you deny or you will not let that power change you. Because you have learned or you think it's easier to live as you are rather than to be responsible for your actions. You know, you just kind of go off. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it. You did mean to say it. My father says the only reason you cuss because cussing is in you. And the only reason you, it's in you. So if it's in you and you don't want it to come out, then what do you got to do? Get it out of you. How do I get it out of me? Admit what your name is. You see, church folk are, are good at covering up their baggage. Oh, they cover it up. Because we don't want to admit. We don't want to be honest. We, we, so we just keep coming to, you know, it's almost like we're neurotic. And then when people really get to know you at one church, you know what we do? You know, we had a guy at our church once, Pastor Benjamin. And I used to meet with a group of young guys. And this guy was, he was spiritual on steroids. <laughs> Just, you know, there was eight of us that used to meet in the morning. And one day he comes in and he goes, I brought eight copies of this document. Wow, there's eight of us here. Man, God, I'm going, man, there's been eight of us here for weeks. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with God. So his girlfriend graduates from college. San Diego. He said, I won't be here next week. So he goes to San Diego. He comes back to the next meeting. I said, well, man, how was the graduation ceremony? And the fellas in the room, they knew me. They weren't saying nothing. He said, oh, it was a great graduation. See, they knew I wasn't talking about no graduation. I said, how was it, man? Oh, it was great. I said, really? I said, how was the graduation? And he, went, he looked at me like, I just, I said, tell me again. So he told me again. I said, well, did you have a chance to be with your lady friend? Oh, yeah, you know, because at home she stays with her parents, and, you know, we don't have a chance to be together. So we were together the same day. I said, look, I said, now, look here, man. You're going to leave being together in the minds of these guys right here? See, I'm your pastor. I have spiritual thoughts. But these guys don't. So why don't you tell me, what does it mean you were with your lady friend? And he pauses. Uh, well, okay, we had sex. And one of the guys says, how many times? And I looked at him. I said, son, let me tell you something. This ain't hanging out with Mr. Cooper. Now, you either marry her or stay from underneath her skirt. Because if you come in here again and tell me you had sex with her, I'm going to call her and invite her to this meeting, and we're going to tell her what we know. Wait a minute. Wait. He comes back the next meeting. You know, Pastor, the Lord is leading me to another church. I know he is. I know he is. See, I had some guys in my church. Listen, listen, folks. You know, Enoch walked with God and was no more. You want That would be you. What happened to so-and-so? I don't know. Pastor told somebody to take him for a walk. We ain't seen him since. He didn't want to admit his name. He didn't want to be accountable. He wanted to, quote, do his thing. Why is it so difficult for us to admit who we are? Why are we not willing to admit what is controlling us? Maybe this man's potential reasons are our reasons. Maybe it's if, you know, if I, if I admit to Jesus or whoever this man is, just ask, just ask me my name. And if I admit to him my name, then I'm going to have to tell him who I really am. And if I tell him who I really am, which is our fear, this is all I have. I have nothing left. And if you don't like me, what am I going to do? Yeah. Remember years ago, I started going to college, and we had a family, and, man, I'm going to school with all these little sweet young things. And I came home and told my wife one day, I said, baby, what you going to do if I come home and tell you, no, I'm running off one of these little girls? And she looked at me right in the eye. She said, well, I'd find me somebody else to love me. I said, what would you do if they did the same thing? She said, not, what? I'm paying for you to go to school, and I'm working. Look here. When I got done with you, no, no, she didn't even trip. She said, I'd find me somebody else. Well, what if they, she said, i find some boy. She said, look, sooner or later, I'm going to find somebody who's going to appreciate me for who I am. And I remember looking at her thinking, that's me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to run off of one of them little things. They don't know nothing. No, 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 that's me. 
You got to admit who you are. And, and you know what, ladies? I'm just going to say this and, and just keep going. If you catch a man with your body, all I know is this. You better stay the hottest thing in his life. Because whatever you catch him with, that's what you're going to have to have to keep him. You know what my wife caught me with? Her godly character. So we got married. My boy, he said, Daddy, you used to have a body man like a Coke bottle. Now you look like the Coke truck. <laughs> I've, often, I've often wanted to tell him your mama, but that's my wife, so I ain't going to say that. You know, I'm not going to, no, no, no. Whatever you use to catch a man or a woman with, I hope you, I hope you never change. Now, if I'd have caught her with that Coke bottle figure, Dang, man, I'm, I'm alone. I'm like the man in the... I'm alone. I keep getting bigger and she keep getting smaller. I used to have an afro, now I just got an af. <laughs> Pastor Benjamin, I know you weren't laughing. <laughs> now, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I better be... I better be... Now, his mama's here. I ain't, you know what... Uh, I ain't going to mess with no woman's baby. I'm not going to leave it alone. But if he admits this to Jesus, he also has to admit what condition he was in. You, you, don't, you don't understand. Folk know what condition you're in. They really do. Folk know you're not a forgiven person. You're not a loving person. You're not a kind person. They know some things have happened to you. And you're not the only one. <laughs> you're not that special. There's a whole lot of people, women and boys been molested and you name all the stuff, raised by single parents, all that craziness. But somewhere along the line, when you hear the gospel, you have an opportunity to walk in the grave and stay or walk out on Easter. That's your choice. You can walk out with the power of God in your life saying this thing ain't going to hold me back. This is not going to destroy me. My friend's daughter got raped and he was walking around moping and feeling sorry and crying, and this went on. And finally, his daughter looked at him and said, hold, 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 stop, time out, Daddy. You didn't get raped, I got raped. And I'm not going to allow this to stop me from living my life. And she went on living her life, as opposed to being a cripple. See, to be, a, to be victimized is when something more powerful than you overpowers you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's victimized. But to be a victim, that's a choice. That's a choice. You, Jesus could have told this man to cast the demons out. And he could have been, get back, come on, where y'all going? Get on back over here. <laughs> he had to admit the pain that he had caused others and himself. You know, like going to old girlfriend's parents and apologizing. He had to admit what was really in him. I got lesions inside of me. I started off just playing with a Ouija board, and the next thing you know, that board was controlling me. It started out really cute, Jesus, but the next thing you know, man, I got a suitcase full of stuff, and I don't even know how to get rid of it. There's a whole legion. He had to admit his helpless condition. He would have to ask for help. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do, is to ask for help. What is your name, my friend? Is it unforgiveness? Is it bitterness? Is it some secret you think no one knows about but you? Is it anger? Whatever it is, I've come to tell you that Jesus wants to help set you free. You notice I said help. Because there's some part you've got to participate in this thing. Dr. Laura, in the same book, she tells the story of a grandpa talking to his grandson about two wolves that are in his head. He said one wolf is bitter, angry, resentful, hypersensitive, and even bites his own paws. There are some people that are self-destructive because of the pain in their life. In fact, they allow the poison from the past to paralyze them in the present. The other wolf, he says, is content, kind, open, caretaking, cooperative, and friendly. The grandfather says, these two wolves are constantly fighting in my head. And alarmed, the grandson asks his grandpa, who's going to win? And the grandfather says, the one that I feed. So, so, so what are you feeding? Are you feeding your unforgiveness? You're feeding your anger, your bitterness, your resentment, your self-pity, your secret sin. I mean, come on now. You're a big girl now. You're a big boy now. You're not the only one. Are you ready to quit biting your paws and 
Are you willing today to admit to Jesus? And then later to someone else, what your name is? Dr. R. Scott Roden, he was a former president of Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And after serving five years in this position, he said this, if I could put one Bible verse on the desk of every pastor, every Christian, every Christian leader in the world, it would be this one. If we say that we have no sin, I would say it like this. If we say that we have no baggage, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we all have something. Some of our baggage is more noticeable than others, but we all have something. Your question has to be, when do I have to deal with my baggage? Well, when you find out that it's hurting you and other people. Or when you hear the Spirit say, what is? So for years, I close with one last story. So for years, our family has a family reunion every year. We've got Huddlesons and Wrights and Brooks and they're everywhere. But once a year, we all get together. And uh, it's precious. The older I get, the more precious it becomes. When I first got out of prison, and, and by the way, this last Monday, I celebrated 36 years of being out of prison. Amen. I went out. I had a breakfast this, this, this Monday morning with a friend. And then I called the house. I said, honey, what are you doing this morning? She says, well, nothing. I said, well, why don't you get dressed? We're going to take a ride. Now, we live outside Sacramento. Went home, picked her up. She got in the car. When we stopped, we were in Tahoe. That's quite a ride. <laughs> I said, we celebrate. She said, what do you mean? I said, 36 years ago, I walked out of prison. And 36 years ago, tonight was the first time I ever set eyes on you. Wow. I said, so we're we just going to celebrate. I said, the Lord been good to me. And I got more degrees on my wall. I traveled all over the world, met president, had breakfast with, I mean, with, with legislators. You know, it's just he's been good. I mean, listen, folks. Oh, oh, no, you know what? Oh, no. My wife don't have to work. I drive a Chevy. She drives a Mercedes. So I got to stick with a truck. You know, my dad said, boy, I don't ever drive nothing. You can't put no pig in. <laughs> Times, he from Muskogee, Oklahoma. Times could get hard. <laughs> so I went away and went to college. I called him up. I said, Daddy. He said, well, I don't need to get a truck. He said, why is that? I said, I was in a store, and I found out they wrap pigs up in plastic. What? I could buy bacon and ribs and... Oh, you're trying to be smart now, huh, boy. Don't let that education go to your head now, boy. You keep a truck. So I drive me with my Tahoe truck. Think about my daddy. But for 36 years, the Lord's been good to me. I've got a good wife. She won't argue with, she won't argue with me, ladies. Listen to me. Listen to me. She's not a... Listen, and, I, I, and I'm good. Oh, I have to listen. There's, there's all these spiritual gifts, and there's one that ain't in the Bible. I got it. It's this gift of argumentation. <laughs> she used to tell me, she said, you know, I should think it took two to argue, but you're good all by yourself. <laughs> you, you're for it. You're against it. You're, and she just would sit there, you know, just. And then I had the nerve to say, well, honey, what do you think about what I just said? She said, but what do you mean what you just said? You said so much. <laughs> Was you listening? She won't argue. You know what she does? She found out a long time ago, I don't listen well. No, I don't. So she goes to the closet. I hear in the closet, I'm two or three in the morning praying, Jesus, just crying out to Jesus. Do something with him, Jesus. Because if you don't, Jesus, if you don't, I'll kill him. Do something with him, Jesus. Help, help. She don't say that, but she's in the closet praying. She's praying for me. I ain't never had no, other than my father, I ain't never had nobody pray for me like that. And then I wake up, I say, you know, honey, I'm, you know, but she won't argue. But for maybe 10 years after I got out of prison, I, I wouldn't go to my family reunion. I was ashamed. And they would say, you know, Sammy, I, said, you know, I always had an excuse. I had uncles and aunts that just told me, I'm not your uncle and aunt anymore, so don't come to my house. Don't this, don't this, don't this. And, 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 and yeah, it hurt. It really did. But I got to go on with life. Then I found I had another side of my family that was Seventh-day Adventists. And I got to meet that other side because they didn't feel a certain way. But one day I went and met the President of the United States. Met with Ronald Reagan. Took my father with me. Met at his office in Southern California. And one of my cousins 
He said, now, at the family reunion this year, we need you to be there. He said, we ain't never had a cousin or a relative meet the president of the United States. Now, you need to be there and tell us what that was like. And I couldn't come up with an excuse. So you don't, you don't know what it's like to have a grandfather who's a deputy sheriff in Merced County, and then his grandson gets arrested for being involved in a murder robbery. That broke his heart. And I'm in prison, and my grandpapa dies. And, and, and what changed my life was they let me go to his funeral, and for the first time in my life, I'm looking down at him. And I made him a promise that I would change and make his name good again. But I'm trying to think, what am I going to pray about? What am I going to preach on? I mean, you know, because my family, I mean, I, I really have a great family. So when we have family reunion, the Seventh-day Adventist side of my family, we don't do nothing on Saturday but go to church. And the reunion starts on Saturday, Sabbath, I'm sorry, Sabbath. And then when the sun goes down on Sabbath, it, it, you know what? It becomes a reunion. <laughs> so on Sabbath, they want me to preach that Sabbath night in Fresno. And I show up. I'm scared. My wife knows I'm scared. And, and, and all my cousins are there, uncles and aunts that I've hurt and all the rest. And, and they know I'm, I'm saved, but, you know, hurt goes deep. Hurt goes real deep. Yeah. I got ready to get out of prison, and my daddy said, son, there was this man. He had a boy, and he was bad. He was really bad. I said, talking about me. No, no, I ain't talking about you. <laughs> he said, and the father was so hurt over the boy. He said, son, I'm going to put a post in the backyard. Every time you do something bad, I'm going to put a nail in it. The boy didn't care. But he had to go past that post every day when he went in and out of the house. And finally, one day, he looked at the post. It was packed with nails. Couldn't even hardly get another nail in the post. Finally, he told his dad, dad, aren't you going to church tonight? He said, yeah, I'm going to go with you. So he went and he got saved. And he tells his dad, dad, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do good. But that post bothers me. He said, I tell you what we do. From now on, every time you do something good, we take a nail out. So they start flipping them nails out. Pretty soon there's one nail left. And the father and the son, they went out and they took that last nail out again. And the boy looks at his dad and says, Dad, what do you think? He says, look, ain't no more nails in that post. And he said, and the father looked at his son and says, you're right, son. He said, the nails are gone, but the holes are still there. And I looked at my dad and I put my head down. That's all he said. I knew I had, I, I'd hurt a lot of people. So I show up at the family reunion. I stand up behind the pulpit. And I can't even look at him. I'm so full of shame. But I start preaching on the prodigal son. You don't ever listen to me, young people. You don't want to break the hearts of the, of the people that love you. You just don't want it. ain't worth it. And I start preaching about the, fan, the, the prodigal son. And I said, the prodigal son did this and this and this and this and this. I said, but then he came to his senses. And I walked around in front of the pulpit. And I stood in front of it like this. I said, he came to his senses after he destroyed the family name. He came to his senses after he had spent all his daddy's money. He came to his senses, and I just started naming all these things that had to have happened. And finally, I stopped. My great uncle Samuel Middleton was sitting over here. Closest I've ever come to seeing my name in an obituary when Uncle Samuel Middleton died. I'm Samuel Michael. I'm named after him. And the obituary says Samuel M. Middleton. I looked and I jumped. I said, okay, that's Uncle Samuel Middleton. <laughs> and he was sitting over here. And I said, Uncle Samuel, you got a whole lot of grands, uh, nieces and nephews. You never had any kids. I said, I'm the only one that have your name. I said, would you forgive me? And Uncle Samuel went. <laughs> he started crying. He was such a tender man. I looked at my young cousins. I said, I don't know what y'all felt and what the next day was like when all of a sudden you went to school after that weekend and your friends were saying, is your, is your cousin Sammy Huddleston? Hey, man, we just, I don't know how you felt. I don't know what you went through. But I asked you to forgive me. I started calling my grandmother. My grandfather passed. I called my grandmama out. My daddy was sitting there. And I just started calling out different ones by name. And I stood there and I went just like this. I said, all I can do is stand here tonight and ask you to forgive me. And I'm standing there like this, off in the back of the room. One of the older cousins, he said these words. Samuel, we forgive you. They don't call me Samuel. They call me Sammy. My name is Samuel. He said, listen, he said, Samuel, we forgive you. And I was standing like this, full of shame, broken. And I looked up with tears flowing down my cheek. And I said these words, I got a new name. I got a new name. I got my name back. 
I've come to tell you about a God who says, I know all about your baggage. I know the things you think about before you even do them. And then he says this, and every thought I have about you is still a good thought. He says, in fact, I just want you to know you're the apple of my eye. And so you'll never forget, I'm going to write it in a book. So every time you start believing what somebody else says you are, I want you to open up my book and I want you to read what I have to say about you. See, I died for all your mess. I died for all of your baggage, what you have on wheels, what you take to work, what you take on trips, uh, what you, you know, your, your cute little bags that you get from Nordstrom's and all. I died for it all. And if you would take the time and answer the question, what is your name? I'll give you a new life. But you're not going to get this new life. See, I got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, but I had anger inside of me. So what did I do? I masked it. I covered it up with the Holy Ghost. So now I'm a Christian, saved, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, angry man. About to lose his family. In the name of the Lord. But I admit it. This is my name, Jesus. Now, I ain't perfect. My wife would attest to this. I'm still angry. But here's the difference. My anger don't control me no more. I probably should have said any more, but no more. I found out that anger is just an emotion. See, a lot of that baggage is just emotions. So once I realized that anger was just an emotion, I went to college and got a bachelor's degree. But I was still angry, so I went and got a master's degree. And I was still angry, I went and got a doctorate degree. So now I can't get no more degrees. I'm not angry anymore, you see? I use it other, I'm telling you, whatever your baggage is, use it for good. Your mom and your dad and all, everybody else, they didn't mean to hurt you and walk over you. It has happened. And the only people who hold on to the past are those who somehow think it's going to get better. I, I bring you news today, it ain't. That's why they call it the past. My daddy would say because it done passed. <laughs> Father, I come to you right now. I really do, Lord. I invite your presence. I invite the spirit of the living God to come into this place. There are some people in this room right now. Oh, Lord, they're not running around in a graveyard uh, with unclothed. But they may as well be, Lord God. They got stuff. Some of them, Lord God, they, they've had some very, some unjust things have happened to them. They didn't ask. They have been victimized. Some of them over and over and over again. And now they think that's who they are. But God is a song we used to sing. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And you've been trying to work and you brought them to this place, this building, this group of people where the spirit of God, it can do whatever he wants to do. Doesn't have a time frame or you got to act this. But the spirit of God. It's free in this place. And it's free to give people hope. Not dying hope. Living hope. Somebody here this morning, Lord God, they came here with luggage. Oh, it's cute. They've learned how to decorate it up and put it, but they came here with some luggage. And you've identified, like you did this man in this room today, You've identified some this man and some this, this, this woman. There's some people in here, Lord, that you're willing to begin the process of total restoration if they are willing to admit their name. And so, God, I ask that the Spirit of the living God would do in this place what he is able to do. Break the hardness around the heart. Bring them to a place where they come to their senses. And then make a decision that would put a smile on your face and theirs. You can do it, Lord. So if you're able, if you're able, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask your pastor to come and join me on this platform. I'm going to turn this over to him in a moment. But you know who you are. I'm going to drag this out. I get to come and be with you once a year. And I love it. 
I appreciate and I highly respect your pastor. I really do. And I asked him how could I help him one time and he told me how and I said, I'll do it. That's why I come here. Because Easter for any pastor, it's a big Sunday to build up and he gets the rest after Easter, him and his wife, knowing I'm going to come. But if you're here today, if you're here today, you know who I'm talking to. Listen to me. He saw it when it happened. He saw it. Now he wants to lead you out of it. Whatever, I'm telling you, it'll make you stronger. My mom and dad's divorce didn't destroy me. Whatever doesn't destroy you, it'll make you stronger. But you have to acknowledge it. If you got some luggage, I want you to join me at this altar. I'm going to give this to Pastor Sunday, but would you come? Don't look around you. Know who I'm talking to. Now let, me, let me rephrase that. You know who the Holy Spirit is talking to. Or you can take your luggage and go home with it. I'm still getting rid of mine. But my wife loves me. My kids love me. My grandbabies. Would you come? Would you come? Move on up. Would you come on up closer? Would you come on up? Come on up. Move up. Come on up. He's here. The tomb was not just empty on Easter. It's empty today. I had to walk out of it. No, I really, I lived in the tomb. I lived in the graveyard. My life was rancid and it smelled. And I found out that Easter is for every day. It's not just for once a day, once a year. It's every day. So I get to live in the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. Jesus. Just lift your hands and begin to worship, would you? you to answer to Jesus. He's asking you, he's standing before you, what is your name? What is the name the enemy has given to your condition? What is the name Hallelujah. the enemy has given to your baggage? I want you to open your mouth and I want you to answer. And as you answer, God is going to give you a new name today. Amen. God is going to give you your true identity in his kingdom. Amen. When you answer, you open your mouth and you answer.
once told me that my name was insignificant and I lived all my life feeling like it and acting like it. And when I admitted to that, the Lord said, no, your name is a fire starter. The Lord is here to give you your true name, your true identity. Father, we thank you that you are here, God, to to dismantle, to dismantle the the power of our past name, to dismantle, God, the power over the baggages, God, the name over our baggages, Lord. Father, we lay it down right now. We lay down all the baggages, God, all the past experiences, Lord, hurts and unforgiveness and anger, fear, 